morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Education Week. It is time to begin. Note that the program updates are now online. You can refer to your Education Week booklet, the, the front cover of the schedule for the league. Please be sure that your cell phones and other electronic devices are silenced or turned off before the class begins. Please note that audio and video recordings of Education Week presentations are not allowed, and no food is allowed in this venue. Please review these and other classroom etiquette items on page 47 of the class schedule booklet. Brother Max Gerch from Midway, Utah will give our opening prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Father, we express gratitude unto thee for the privilege of being an education. This day we ask a blessing upon our instructor, that you might be guided and bless each of us as that we might have thy influence that might bless us. We continue to say that thy influence might be spread upon the earth, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here and to have this opportunity. We say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that prayer, and thank you all for being up early enough to be here. Many repeat offenders coming as well. Uh, I'm, I'm truly humbled by your continued interest and willingness to learn a little more about light and about revelation. And that's going to be where our focus will be today, is with respect to how light may function with respect to our receiving of revelation. And, you know, as with most things, a little icebreaker for you that often comes from my kids. I, I was reminded of a principal revelation that we'll actually talk about a little bit today. Uh, some of you were here to hear me talk about how my wife had been here and, and our kids were at home, uh, three teenagers. Made it back home yesterday uh, to find out that something that had been, we thought, so clearly articulated had not been followed. It was to take the garbage can to the street. Anyone ever forgot that before? Detrimental consequences to forget something like that. And, uh, and they did. They forgot. And we, we, had, we had told them in at least two different ways. We had written it down on a sheet and we had told them verbally, please make sure to put the garbage can. What on earth does it have to do with Revelation? Well, it reminds me that really to receive Revelation, we must have at least two things. The intent to act and the openness to receive and not dictate how that information will be received. And you think of what's often used as an example with Joseph Smith and the fact that he didn't just have curiosity and interest or even just the... the belief that God can answer. He had an intent to act. His question was, which church should I join? Which one is right so that I can join it? There was an intention to take and whatever was received, and there was an openness to however God may give that information. So I find that when we are truly not fully with intent in terms of acting, we often limit what God can do to answer us. We end up saying, well, if he were to answer me, he would tell me in this way. Even oftentimes without realizing it. And I think my kids are really good at that. You know, if, if he had told me, and, and that was the response from my daughter, well, if you had sent us a text, then, 
we would have put the garbage to the street. Don't do that with revelation. Be more open and willing to act in those ways. So I've given my introduction a couple times for those who've been here before, so it's going to get faster every time. I'm from Arizona originally. I uh, joined the church as a young teenager, served a mission in the beautiful state of Georgia, and uh, I'm married now, three children. They are wonderful the vast majority of the time. Uh, I've lived a number of places. I'm now a professor at Duke University and love studying things related to science, the gospel, and light. Now our icebreaker today is going to be... Switch over here. I'm not going, I'm going to, I don't trust technology as much today, so I just went ahead and did it the old school way. So for those who haven't been here before, use your phone camera, scan the QR code, touch the little link that pops up, and answer the question, and it will build another one of our fun word diagrams. This question is one that you have certainly heard before, as articulated initially by President Nelson a few years ago, and followed up in many ways since then, about how we meaning hearing the Lord, receiving revelation. So once you log in, just go ahead and submit an answer, and it will eventually build the overall word diagram for us, hopefully, if it's behaving today. Is it not working? Yeah, okay. It only shows one person there, so one of you figured it out. Okay, I'll be patient. While you are answering, though, I will tell you a reminder about questions submitted. One of the first things we're going to do today is I'm going to address a few of the questions from yesterday's class. And I figured probably a most effective way of balancing time is that questions you submit today, I will answer them tomorrow. Okay, so that will, and it's not, I mean, honestly, I, I love taking questions on the fly. I'm just not as good about balancing my time. So this gives me a chance of uh, addressing some of your questions without compromising what we have for a limited time. It does not look like it's working, guys. I don't know. You can see the word diagram? Is it cool? Uh, I wish I could see it. Let me try reloading and see if that helps. Nope. I've lost faith. See? Very specific dictation of how that was supposed to work. And it did not work my way. I hope you saw cool answers from each other. And we will come back in, in just a little bit, and, and maybe you'll even see if it comes up for me a little bit later to show all of you, in case you didn't pull it up on your phone, so you can benefit from those answers. But we will come back to them uh, in just a few minutes. So if you're still logged in there, I will get all of those questions. So that's just a reminder about going to the Q&A feature, submit those questions. I will get them all. There were 60 questions submitted yesterday, and it was delightful, honestly. And you'll see some of the reasons why in just a moment. Uh, but to last thing, it's, it's almost like a duty now at the beginning of these lectures that I have to give you my fish scientist analogy. But this time it's going to go very fast, since some of you have seen it already, so apologies for first-timers here. Um, imagine a world where they know very little about fish, and so someone builds a cabin by a river so that they can study the fish in that river, and they fish them out of the river and end up catching all of these beautiful purple fish. And they do what just about anyone would do if they caught lots of fish, they eat a lot of them. And in so doing, this approach or method of studying the fish gives information about what the fish like to, uh, what they bite on in terms of bait, what their anatomy looks like, what they taste like. And so this fish scientist goes to a fish conference and shares all of this amazing insight about fish that he has discovered 
through his methodologies. And the audience is absolutely amazed by these insights. The person gets done presenting, goes back to the audience, and the next presenter gets up. It's another fish scientist, except this fish scientist took an entirely different approach. The methodology followed was to actually put on a dive suit and go into a lake that he built his cabin on. He observed the fish in their natural environment. He was able to learn things about their life cycle, their behavior, all types of insights that were completely different than those obtained from the previous presenter. So the previous presenter was exasperated. While some in the audience were still loud, these two presenters found each other after the session and had an active debate about how one's approach was clearly the right one and the things that were learned from that approach are clearly the appropriate definition of the fish. They debated for hours and never reached a resolution, returning home and never realizing that their two properties were connected by that very river. They studied the same fish. They both gained information and insight that was vital and important and relevant. And yet, because they felt so adversarial, so at odds with the approach and methods of the other, they were limited in the truth that they obtained. This is what I like to think about when considering scientific truth and religious truth. They are all the same. And they come together, just as Johnny Witso says, that scientific truth cannot be theological lie. To the same mind, theology and philosophy must harmonize. They have the common ground of truth on which to meet. Okay, with that, we will, we will obviously continue to refer back to that principle of scientific and gospel truth being connected. But I will address a few questions from last lecture here. First, I love this question. It's probably my favorite. I'll start with my favorite. Small typo, but that's okay. It's anonymous. Does maybe Jesus want me for a sunbeam? I, I mean, definitely, right? After all that we've talked about light, this made me so happy when I saw that question. I, I love the things that people were thinking about throughout my, my talking up here, by the way. Like, the, looking at the timestamp, I'm like, what was I saying then uh, that someone came up with this? Uh, is it the amplitude? Is the amplitude of a wave that determines the brightness? This is a great question. So we talked about electromagnetic radiation yesterday. We'll obviously, we talk more about it today. The amplitude is the same thing as the intensity. It's not that it's not like what you think about with other forms of cyan or other related waves that are not electromagnetic. This is more complex. That an increased energy in a photon or a light wave does not mean an increased amplitude. That's not the same thing. In fact, there's a lot of confusion between those who work with electromagnetic radiation in the telecommunications industry, like radio-based communications, versus those who work with it in a fiber optic communications industry or at the quantum level with photons. They talk about things that have the same words and mean things totally different. So the telecommunications, they talk about amplitude of light waves, and they're really talking about lots of photons. The more photons you have, the higher the amplitude. The higher the intensity, the higher the brightness. So it's about how many photons. So uh, we'll come back to that with the blue laser because there were some awesome questions about that. Uh, do you narrate the Come Follow Me line of online videos? I didn't even know what those were, but I wish. Maybe they should consider it, right? Uh, I hope they're amazing. Is the light of Christ the power that makes atoms function? Wow, what a deep question. I obviously don't have a definitive answer to this, but I like to think that the life-giving power of light is definitely functional beyond just photosynthesis. I think there are things light is doing besides just warming 
and giving us an overall livable environment. And it may be very well at the atomistic level. If all things radiate light and all spirit is matter, can you detect a spiritual presence through black light radiation photo? Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, I actually had someone, I've had a lot of really wonderful people reach out to me uh, in the last year or so about their perception and perspectives on light. And one of them was fully intending on doing a, a, complete, a complete scientific study on whether or not you could detect such radiation. And, and he wanted advice about what should I look at, you know, what, what range should I see. I have, honestly, I have zero intelligible insight on that other than my own curiosity. But it, it certainly seems like something that at some point we may be capable of. Is the human voice a form of communication, a light wave? So no, all sound is, a it's a wave, but it's not a light wave. It's actually a ripple through molecules in the atmosphere. It's why if you were floating out in space, heaven forbid, and uh, were not confined in a spacesuit, you would not be heard. You would not be making sound, actually, because there are no molecules filling the overall environment to carry the wave. It's a wave that moves by physical distortion of things, like a wave in the ocean in that way. A light wave is not that. A light wave distorts the other things that it passes by or through. So it doesn't require an atmosphere. In fact, you know, light waves, for years, people thought the only way they could understand them was to invent something called the ether that fills all space because light has to propagate inside something. But Einstein, and very controversially, came forward and said the ether is completely unnecessary. Light moves through anything. And so that central premise is carried on. What end of the electromagnetic spectrum is closest and which is farthest from the presence of God? Wow, another really deep thinking uh, question there. I have no idea. I wish I knew, but uh, I like to think that all are of equal closeness uh, or distance, for that matter, from God. And when and how did electromagnetic understanding of light occur? This would be in the 1850s or 60s, a, an inventor named James Clerk Maxwell, an absolutely astonishing individual. I recommended yesterday to a few individuals after my lecture uh, a biography. Just look up any biography about James Clerk Maxwell and you would not be disappointed. He is an individual that died in his 40s and in that short lifespan made more contributions to our understanding of uh, the physics of electromagnetic radiation than arguably anyone. And we still use his equations and we call them the Maxwell equations when we talk about light. All right, last slide of questions. How does light produce electricity? Ooh, this is great. Uh, there's a lot of ways it can happen, but in photovoltaic cells, or solar cells, you might have some on your roof, it simply takes the light energy and uses it to transfer the energy to electrons. Those electrons are inside a semiconductor, and when the energy is absorbed from the light, they take that energy and use it to flow into the circuit and generate electrical current, and therefore electricity. That's the reason why it's an on-demand energy source. If you have a solar cell that's generating electrical energy, it's not naturally storing any of it. You have to have some other medium for doing that. It's just generating it on-demand. Or in the moment, I guess, that light is hitting it. How long did it take you to make that beautiful fish scientist animation? <laughs> I'm just so honored you find it beautiful. My wife thinks it's a little bit silly. Uh, maybe a lot. But uh, it took about an hour, but I've spent a lot more of my time than I care to admit learning PowerPoint physics. So I'm good at it. How well will Duke do this year without Coach K? 
I, I, I want to give you a definitive answer here. I'm confident we will do well. How about that? Uh, we know light is affected by gravity. How much does it move when planets slash stars affect its direction? That's a deeply knowledgeable question. And yeah, light indeed, by the way, is affected by gravity. Like black holes, which are basically gravity sinks. Infinite gravitational forces pulling all into them do indeed pull light. And so there is a bending effect that occurs there. Uh, exactly how much that effect ends up manifesting, that's a little harder question to answer simply. But I will give a small demonstration of it when we talk in tomorrow's lecture. Are lightsabers real? I mean, how can I rank these questions? This is, these are amazing. I wish, I just so wish lightsabers were real. All right, last questions, and they came rapid fire. You, you guys, these are completely different people who all asked, why was the blue light dangerous? Because if you remember yesterday, I turned the blue laser on a couple times. So I did my homework back in my hotel room last night. I took the blue laser, I put a little crumpled piece of newspaper into this pot with all safety precautions in place. I applied the laser light and immediately it starts smoking that paper. In fact, it burned holes straight through that newspaper just in a few seconds that I exposed the laser to it. So now you're gonna get me in trouble for putting it on at all in here. So I did not bring it today. So, we will talk a little more about that one also tomorrow. Indeed! Indeed! Thank you! I, I didn't want to be the one to say it. I didn't want to say it. Thank you. Alright. If, if I didn't get you laughing enough yet, I do have a clip from the Lego movie. So, if you have not seen the Lego movie, shame on you, you should see it. Uh, shameless promotion for it. But uh, if you haven't, I'll give the whole thing away, so you'll never have to. Um, no, I won't. But I tell you that the premise of this movie is that there is something called, there's a person called the special. And they're all just trying to find this person, okay? And their perception of what makes the person the special is described by this character in this little scene that I will now play you the clip from. Okay, let's see if we get our audio. I'll rewind it, guys. Me. Maybe a little louder. Me. You found the piece of resistance, and the prophecy states that you're the most important, most talented, most interesting, and most extraordinary person in the universe. That's you, right? Uh, yes. That's me. Great. Okay. <laughs> You're the most important, most interesting, most talented person in the universe. This is who they're looking for. Now, the way that they're going about identifying this is that this person will have the ability to adapt to any situation that they are presented with. And, and many of them have this talent as well, where they see Lego bricks all around them, and they immediately see in their minds how to use them to build something to get them through a challenge. And so there's this other video, we're not going to watch this whole thing, but I'll, I'll just play it for just a second, where this, this person builds a simple car. There's one consistent thing about this car. It always has four wheels. Everything else about it adapts in order to overcome an obstacle. So it increases the size of the car's wheels, and then, oh, it can't get over a larger book. So it changes it to four-wheel drive, and then it gets over it with different wheels, and it gets crazy. I mean, look at this. 
But the whole time, the whole time, it's four wheels on the car doing all types of outlandish stuff. Alright? So I want you to think about this with respect to our search for truth and revelation in life. That it is a lot like being willing to adapt through circumstances. Things are never going to be the same for you as they are for anyone else. And in your life, they're going to continue to grow and change. So your adaptation when it comes to seeking and receiving revelation must be as agile as your undoubtedly changing life experience is going to be. So, with that, let's remind ourselves of the connection between light and truth. They are indeed connected. These three are some of the more popular verses from some of the most pointed sections about light in the Doctrine and Covenants. And they indicate things like the fact that Jesus is uh, is God who comprehends all things, that he is the light of truth, and that truth shineth. We also see that when we receive truth and light, we can do so until we are glorified in truth to know all things. And that whatsoever is truth is light. So there is a key intersection between light and truth. And wouldn't you like to comprehend all things? I mean, imagine the things that you might struggle with or maybe just even wonder about. I mean, here's a list that I came up with when I thought about this yesterday. And it's no particular order. I mean, the fourth point is as important to me as the others for communicating and understanding how to communicate better. But all are things I do not comprehend in full and would love to have greater comprehension about. So when you think about that, consider this promise. Now, I always pay a little more attention when there is some phraseology or especially entire verses that are nearly duplicated across different standard works. This is one such duplication, and it is not just a simple doctrine. It's a promise, a promise to comprehend all things. So the Doctrine and Covenants version in 8867 says, And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you, and that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. This was one of the central tenets to the Savior's Sermon on the Mount which he was preaching, obviously, as captured in Matthew 5 and 6, and that was reproduced in his teachings to the Nephites in 3 Nephi. So this is as, as, a central, as central of a crux to his doctrine as many of the other teachings, including things like the Beatitudes. So, this is going to go faster than it did last time, if you were here yesterday, but what is light, so that we build on this through the rest of the lecture today, Light, as such as emitted from a flashlight, is composed of tiny constituent elements known as photons. Now, they're not elements with mass. They're actually massless. They are simply energy. And an energy that is a combination of an electric field and a magnetic field. They both instigate the other. They, they cause the other to form, and they propagate together. You will not see them isolated when it comes to a light wave. It will always be an electromagnetic wave. And the wave is always moving. That's why the propagation direction is indicated. It has a lot of key features, but they're interconnected. The three features are wavelength, frequency, and energy. If one of them changes, the other two are going to change corresponding to that one. And across that spectrum, there are many different uses for electromagnetic radiation, visible light being just a tiny little fraction of the overall spectrum. 
With respect to communication technologies, there are distinct wave bands or ranges of wavelength or frequency or energy that are classified for certain use cases. So there's wave bands used for police communications, there's wave bands used for radio communications, and those are strictly controlled in the US by the Federal Communications Commission, FCC, so that there is not interference across communication bands. So I want to use those principles of light, building a few more onto them, to answer these questions. I'm gonna admit something to you. In preparing this lecture yesterday, I started preparing weeks ago, but really putting it together, this is one of those moments where I took a very significant shift from my initial notes. And that's a little scary, but it also is something that I feel like the content I've developed here is certainly most appropriate for what some of you may be coming to learn about. So I hope that addressing some of these questions will help you. We'll go fast through a lot of them. How do my prayers reach God? None of these are definitive answers. I'm just trying to offer you some perspective. So think about the fact that we all radiate light, which we discussed before. Spiritual light carries information. President McKay's quote we talked about yesterday, that we all radiate who we are, and that that information is able to be received by others. And that light moves at the speed of light. There is nothing faster of which we are aware. And so it is the fastest moving medium of which you could use to transmit something from one place to another. Based on those things, Consider the words uh, from CNC section 6. Yea, tell thee that thou mayest know that there is none else save God that knowest the thoughts and the intents of thy heart. If light is at least one possible medium for the prayers of our hearts to reach God, I'd be happy with it. Knowing that it, by our own measurement capabilities, is the fastest way to get things there. How can God hear my prayers and so, so, so well, this is a major concern, by the way, that I've heard brought up when I've spoken to congregations of youth about these principles. That this concern over the magnitude of God's creations and how it could be simplified down to listening intently to an individual. So let's talk about how information itself is crammed into light as a premise to build on here. These three examples I give are some of the more common ways that we use information cramming for radio-based communications. So AM radio, um, and I'll use this radio analogy again uh, in just a moment, a couple slides away, but for radio waves, the original radio waves were amplitude modulated. That's AM, amplitude modulation, where you take the signal, okay, this is the, the sound wave, so to speak, this is the information in the sound wave, and then this is the carrier wave, this is the light wave, that's the amplitude based on intensity, okay, of the transmitted photons. Um, and then the modulated result is they basically take that sound wave and they embed it into this light wave. It's called analog, meaning it's not splitting it down and chopping it up into ones and zeros. It's just taking the actual rapid flow at the rate that it's coming, putting it into a light wave and allowing it to be converted electrically from one source to the next. FM radio, instead of using amplitude modulation, they move to frequency modulation. And while that looks messier, it's a lot cleaner signal. In fact, what happens is it retains its integrity better than amplitude modulation. Because when the light is moving specifically through an atmosphere, there are interactions it can have with molecules in that atmosphere. So its amplitude will diminish over distance. 
That's why you can't pick up a radio station that's broadcasting in North Carolina when you're in Utah. Okay? It's going to be different because it's not going to travel that much distance. Satellite radio introduces digitization. So the original data is ones and zeros. That's the with the voice or it's a video transmission. It would also be, be digitized into ones and zeros. Those are then encoded into the modulated result, and that result is transmitted. So no matter which method is used, the way we get information into light is by modifying some attribute of the light. Modifying that light allows for this, this information to then be extracted by the appropriate receiver. And keep in mind the fact that in our room right now, there are thousands of conversations being transmitted in, around, and a little scary through you and me. And we are not aware at all of those conversations. You don't know what's in those conversations. And thankfully, we're able to mostly keep those things protected, where only the intended recipient ends up extracting the intended information. So that level of control is something to think about with respect to what God would be capable of. Okay, so a little fun uh, connection to this. Most data, including all internet traffic, uses pulses to represent the digitized information. So there's, there's an amplitude modulation frequency, that's telecommunication in the radio waves, but in terms of internet traffic, it's mostly pulse light wave, on, off. Think about Morse code. Not all that different in terms of how we pulse light to transmit information. Thousands of signals can be sent in a single fiber optic strand that's less than a tenth of the size of a strand of hair. Think about how much information that is. I'll tell you exactly how much as well in just a sec. But first, you want to see, my, now that someone thinks my PowerPoint uh, graphics can be beautiful even, I brought the stick figures back for you to show you how a cell phone uh, conversation happens. So, I thought of this years ago when I had a FaceTime call with my wife when I had just landed in Beijing and she was back home where we lived at the time in New York. And, you know, we take these things for granted, but how incredible. Like, I just pulled this little box out of my pocket and in seconds I was looking at the face of my wife and children, hearing their voices in enough of a real-time scenario that we didn't have to sit and say, over. Over, right? I mean, we actually had a real-time conversation. That is incredible. And to make that happen, that meant all of the information that I was creating, or now I put England here instead of China, but, uh, oh, it's stalled. Let me try to play it over again. Let's see if it'll work. All that information goes to a tower, to another tower, into light that transmits under the ocean through fiber optic cables, through towers again, and then you see the little face that showed up there. I'll show you again, I'm super proud of it. <laughs> so it goes through the towers, into the fiber optic cable, and there it is, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Not the most important thing of the day, but an accomplishment nonetheless. So a lot of people are surprised by this. They're like, oh my gosh, don't we go to satellites? Isn't it just go to satellite? And that is way more complicated. And frankly, a lot more potential for loss in information or data to go to space and back. So we only do that with certain types of communication. And it's usually for lower, dis uh, shorter distances than it is for the fiber optic technology. The bandwidth is also much better in fiber optic cables because they lose so little of the information transmitted. Now, fiber optic cables under the ocean, is that a revelation to any of you? If it is, then you didn't know that we've been doing this for well over 100 years. But it wasn't fiber optic cables, it was electrical cables. We put them on ships that still had sails and put them into the 
ocean all the way across the Atlantic back in the early 1900s. And that was the earliest communications that we were using telegraph for, even late 1800s and the earliest cables. They often only lasted a few days, lots of work for very little information transfer. But the best of the telegraph communication systems, you can see the lines transferring across all those lines in the ocean in 1901 is what this map is representing. Um, that, that was the only way we knew to communicate then, and it's not that different now. 99% of all data traffic across the oceans uses submarine cables. These cables have little strands of fiber optics, the ones that you see on Christmas trees, kind of, just a little more advanced, where the light is bouncing inside of this tube with perfect or total internal reflection. Meaning it doesn't, it's not lossy, it doesn't get lost inside the cable, it just transmits all the way from one end to the other with the help of some amplification along the way. So one of these cables, tiny little strand, less than the thickness of a piece of your hair, can carry about 50 terabits per second. Think about this, that's over 600 full-length 4K movies per second in one cable. And those cables can be multiplexed with even greater amounts of information, and you can even transverse information in both directions in some of them. Though it is a real astonishing landmark of uh, communication transfer and technology. Okay, so cool, right? But what about communication with God? If humankind can do this, imagine what God must be capable of. I'm not saying he's going to do it the same way. I just want you to let your brain think for a second. If we are capable of that, what must God be able to do to get information to us? There is no limit that we could come up with. And I think that the, the prophet that probably captured this best in his life was the prophet Enoch. And these beautiful, this beautiful interchange that you're likely familiar with where he says, how is it that thou canst weep, he says to God, seeing thou art holy and from all eternity to all eternity. And were it possible that man can number the particles of the earth in millions of earths like this, it would not be beginning to the number of thy creations. And thy curtains are stretched out still. And thy bosom is there, thou art just. How is it thou canst weep? And the Lord said unto Enoch, Behold, these thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine hands. Someone asked a question a day or two ago about the James Webb images, the new Hubble 2.0. I hope you've been following this. I have been in awe by these. I mean, awe is not a word I would use to describe my general feeling most days. I don't know about you. But when was the last time you were in awe about something? I look at these images, I'm in awe. This is a tiny, tiny fraction of the visible universe from our vantage point. One fraction, and it captures thousands of galaxies in a single image. This type of majesty, this grandeur, these are things we know, especially through restored scripture. And so if anything, it should give you a reassurance of the presence and majesty of God, of his greatness and glory, and therefore his capacity to do more than you're ever going to be able to understand. That God's ways are greater than man's ways, and that we cannot comprehend all the things which God can comprehend. How rapidly can he answer? Well, in Alma 9, it says that he is quick to hear the cries of his people and to answer their prayers. But how quick is quick? 
So think about light with the theory of relativity. Speed of light is a constant that holds together space and time. That's the central premise for Einstein's perspectives that come through his theories of relativity. So it's independent of how the observer is moving. This is where you develop cool things like the twin paradox, where if I'm standing on Earth and my twin gets onto a rocket ship and it travels at a speed of light, and he comes back and it only was two weeks time for him and 20 years for me. So why does that happen? Because there is a contraction to obey this principle of constancy of the speed of light. And we've proven this, by the way. This isn't just like outlandish little examples, like for instance, someone putting a little rocket ship guy on screen, which is about to happen. Uh, it's actually things that we can measure. So when you travel even faster than normal travel on Earth, like you spend a lot of time on a plane, you are actually uh, seeing at the nano, probably more like picosecond level, some less time passage than the person that stayed on Earth all that time to travel. Okay, that's infinitesimally small, but it is measurable and it does occur. So if you think about this, that uh, an observer standing on the ground and one on a rocket ship, lucky guy, holding a flashlight, turning the flashlight on and shining it, if both of them measured the speed of the light coming out of the flashlight, they would get the same result. That should feel very illogical, because it is not logical to anything else of which we are aware. It's light that holds this unique attribute. So speed of light and its constancy is a central crux to the way that we might think about communication from God. From our observation on Earth, it takes about eight minutes for light to travel from to us from the sun. Okay, so when you get hit with sunshine, you think, oh, eight minutes ago, that was on the sun. And here it is now warming me. And based, though, on the relativistic contraction of space and time, that trip was instantaneous for the light. If you were traveling on that photon, it would have been instant that you left the sun and arrived at the earth. Think about that principle when you imagine that God is light, and that it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. God has no limits. His ability to answer is not confined by any of our measurements or our own ability to transmit. Am I capable of hearing him? We talked about these ones yesterday, so this is a, flat, a fast blast. Graphene, the thinnest known material stable in normal environments that we are aware of. And when you put it on a substrate, it causes distinct changes to how light interacts. If graphene can do that, then I propose our spiritual matter combined with our bodies, of which we know we get greater power from, because it's a bondage to be without the body. That leads me to suggest that this unique combination of spirit and body give us a capacity to extract information from light, potentially then from God, that we cannot get to in any other way. How do I hear him? Well, I hope most of you have used one of these. I think you probably have. And I would have brought one in as a demo, but it was a little hard to pack in my luggage. and you know, So I, I know you can picture it. 
If I had a radio here, I would turn it on and, and make sure it's not programmed with the antenna to a certain frequency for transmission, for receiving a transmission. So you hear static, right? And then I tune the knob and we pick up a station. Of course, when I was a teenager, the radios looked a little more like this. This was the cool one to have in the 80s and 90s. But uh, nevertheless, it still looked the same, receiving those signals and transmitting them. So think about this. All of that information, it was there all along. You tuning into it only changed your receiving. But right now, sitting in this room, there are dozens of radio transmissions happening. If we pulled a radio out, we could tune into any number of them. Imagine all the things that God might be communicating that we just are not tuned quite enough into. If you're wondering how to tune in, how to hear him, good news. There is a wonderful repository of instruction provided on this. All you have to do is Google, how do I hear him? You don't have to put the church name in there. You don't have to write prophets in there. You can just simply Google, how do I hear him? And the first link that will come up is this page, which is the collection of snippets from modern-day prophets and leaders of the church providing really simple insights. If, you, if you've watched these, I, I don't know what your reaction is, but my reaction is, well, that's simple. There's no, you know, join me in the central room of the upper floor of the Salt Lake Temple, you know, turn the temperature to this condition, and this is when revelation will come in. It is so simple, and therefore accessible to any of us. The comparison between Nephi and his brothers is a standout in this way, and I'll animate this one in because I'll go faster through it, but I just want to indicate to you that Nephi, it wasn't just that he was frustrated that his brothers weren't receiving what he had, it was that he was so confident they had the ability to receive it. He never questioned, like, you guys are probably just not really built for this, right? His response down here, surely these things shall be made known unto you, surely. They had been received by him. He had followed what it took to tune in. Obviously, the same information was readily available if they just would tune into it. Okay? I love the insight. Someone came up and spoke to me a couple days ago and gave me this wonderful insight about antennas. You know, antennas that are transmitting information, to receive that, you have to tune your antenna to match the one that transmitted. That's really insightful into us becoming like God. And the more we become like Him, the more able to receive information from Him. There is indeed noise that has to be filtered out. And an imperfect tuning is something that often gets us only frustrating fuzziness rather than clarity and signal. Really good. So Bruce R. McConkie was fascinated by this. He gave a talk years ago uh, that explored this, and I forgot to put the link to the talks. So forgive me, but uh, that's just a link to this picture. Uh, but it was in the 70s at General Conference. He was serving as mission president years before in Australia, and he talked about visiting a TV tower. And, and was so interested in how they put information into these light signals, and then you go down to the city below, and you receive those signals by the antenna on your roof and watch the TV station. And so when he got home that night, and he watched the station with his kids, and he talks about this in the quote, he, he was just like enthralled with this idea. And so he says, I think this illustrates perfectly what is involved in the receipt of revelation and the seeing of visions. 
We can read about visions and revelations in the records of the past, but we cannot comprehend what is involved until we see and hear and experience for ourselves. So it is with revelations and visions of eternity. They are around us all the time. But millions of people everywhere live and die without tasting the good word of God because they do not obey the laws which implant the revelations of the Lord in their souls. I don't know what your challenges may be, if any, about how to hear him in your life, but I'll tell you one of mine. I far too often visualize my petitions to God as getting him to speak. If I only ask the right thing, surely he may decide to answer. Being aware of his constant issuance of answer, of revelation, of peace, of insight, and my own need to tune into it has been transformative as I've considered ways that I can enhance the presence of his speaking in my life. Last two. What does God, will God bless you if you do not ask him to? I can talk so long about this and I only let myself put one verse in. I believe the answer is no. And I don't mean can he, I mean he's God, so God could. But in terms of will he, I think there's a lot of evidence that typically the answer is no. I love the story of Oliver Cowdery in this way. Oliver Cowdery was confused about whether he even received revelation, and the answer the Lord gave him was, look back, because you have been blessed. And he says, blessed are therefore what thou hast done, for thou hast inquired of me. And, and Oliver's like, yeah, I mean, I know I inquired, I went to the barn, I prayed that day. But he's like, did he answer me? Is this real? And look what the Lord says. Listen, to me. as often as thou hast inquired, Thou hast received instruction of my spirit. If it had not been so, thou wouldst not have come to the place where thou art at this time. I'm, I read that as if he had not inquired. He would not have made the decisions he made. And so the very fact that he made those decisions was evidence that he had received instruction from God. It was not an audible voice. It was not a clear, distinct burning that he could not deny. It was action that he was willing to take, and therefore God was able to work. And by looking back, he could see that God had been there through the process. Many ways that light can be detected. Absorbed, converted, reflected, refracted, fluoresced. And you cannot limit how that detection may occur with God speaking to you. That goes back to my first comment about my kids taking the garbage out, right? They only wanted a specific way to receive that information, and they were willing to follow it. Don't be limiting. This might be the most important slide of this whole presentation, and it's not going to be anything you haven't heard, but it's just so deeply impactful to me. When Jesus visited the Nephites, he taught them through that experience so many things about receiving revelation. It started from them hearing the still voice and yet needing to tune their focus to it before they understood. But way later, after he'd extended his visit with them, he did the most magnificent thing. He prayed with them. But he didn't just pray. Through the experience of his praying, he taught them something about receiving revelation that I missed the first hundred times I read it. And it came to pass that Jesus went again a little way off and prayed unto the Father. And tongue cannot speak the words which he prayed. 
neither can be written by man the words which pray. He didn't say they couldn't or were not allowed to write them. He said that in other instances. He said they couldn't write it. And the multitude did hear and do bear record, and their hearts were opened, and they did understand in their hearts the words which he prayed. Nevertheless, so great and marvelous were the words which he prayed that they cannot be written, neither can they be uttered by man. Too many of us, especially the youth in the church today, are limiting God because they only hear people talk about a voice. They only hear people talk about a distinct message about the Spirit speaking to someone. The reality is those instances are by far the exception rather than the rule. And even the most brand of information can often be received without words. No voice spoken. No ability to communicate what was felt and experienced to anyone else. That is the type of communication that God is capable of facilitating. So don't be frustrated if you don't hear a voice. If you don't have a specific feeling, be aware that God's message is already there. And the more you tune in and act, the more His hand will be at work in your life. Comprehending all things comes back to hearing Him. Our bodies becoming filled with light so that we do comprehend. We sanctify our minds to become single to Him. Now, I'm gonna do something that I would never recommend. I'm going to go very quickly through two pages of scripture because I, I think you know this scripture well and I hope it will give you a little different way to think about it with respect to all that we've talked about today. Alma chapter 32, the seed, right? The experiment on the word. The first verses that I've highlighted here, and you don't have to read this. I'll, you can take a picture once I animate the whole slide in, but you, you can read it later. It's just saying everyone has had this happen. Everyone has had an experiment that they've planted. It might be all the way back when you got baptized. I don't, I don't care when it was. I guarantee it has happened to you. Why? Because you are here right now. No matter how much cajoling or other circumstances brought you here, the fact that you are here tells me you have planted a seed and done this experiment. And if you've done it, you also have likely asked the first question highlighted here. Are you sure that this is a good seed? We just got done learning that it was planted and it grew and it swelled and it's good. But are we sure? How often have you found yourself or others land at the doorstep of this question after having planted that seed and seen it start to grow? This type of curiosity, this wonder, is challenging only if it's asked from a framework of doubt. I'll give you what, the reason why. If you keep on moving down, you note that this becomes a fully grown, fruit-bearing tree before you know the seed is even good. You don't need to get to the fruit before you have awareness. It's about what it feels like. So then it asks, is your knowledge perfect? And it says, yes, in that thing. It's like tuning into one of the radio stations. If you're listening to classical music, do you hear what's going on on the other 20 or 30 that are currently transmitting? You don't. You've tuned in, you're focused, and you've discerned the light in that thing. But your knowledge is not perfect in all things. And notice, even though your knowledge is perfect in that thing, it is just 
beginning to be enlightened. It is just beginning to expand. It is not complete. The tree hasn't even fully grown yet. And yet you have gotten to a place of perfect knowledge in that thing. Now, the next question comes. Oh, then, is not this real? Notice the difference between these two questions. The first one was a question from doubt. Are we sure that this is good? And the extra other one is with certainty that it is real, but still interest in further confirmation. When Moroni gave the promise and said to ask with real intent if the Book of Mormon is not true, I don't think not is there just because it's strange English. It's because you must ask from a position of belief. You must ask from a position of intent to follow whatever is said. That position will allow your knowledge to continue to grow as you continue to apply faith. And then finally, that's all that's on this slide if you want to capture it. I want to point out that it says the heat of the sun comes and scorches it and it withers. You probably have a lot of things in your life that could be the heat of the sun. I just want you to recognize, even though the sun scorched it, even though your circumstances may cause challenges or difficulties, it is still you that chooses to uproot that seed. At the end of this verse, it indicates that was tough. The sun was scorching, but they still chose to pluck it up and cast it out. It still requires action to reach that place. There's a great quote from President Nelson that I wish I had time to read, but my last thing I'll point out to you here is just a wondrous discovery to me. You might have already realized it. Did you know that that whole seed experiment in Alma 32, the whole thing that's growing, the whole fruit that it's going to produce, is the tree of life? That what you are growing within you is the very love of God. And that that fruit is here. It's not in some far-off destination that you must hold on to a rod to pull yourself to. It is right inside of you. As close as it can possibly be. As convenient to pluck and partake of as any place that God could place it. Alright. Closing out. You are the special. Back to the Lego movie and uh, realizing this whole mystery of finding them special. Near the end of the movie, it says this. You are the most talented, most interesting, and most extraordinary person in the universe. And you are capable of amazing things because you are the special. And so am I. And so is everyone. The prophecy is true. It's about all of us. Right now... It's about you, and you can still change everything. You were made to receive light and truth from God. As you open yourself to receiving that light and truth, it will grow brighter and brighter until the most perfect of days, the days where your knowledge in all things becomes so perfect that God's love is without question. Of these things I testify, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.